You pressed play on this podcast with the click of curiosity. It is another dimension, a dimension of mind, a dimension where nothing is sacred and everything is explainable. You're streaming into a land of both inside and outside of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the midside. Welcome to the midside where we never shoot people who squirt mayo in our face. Although I suppose that depends on how you define shoot, squirt, mayo, and face. <laughs> I'm your host, Justin M. Wisniewski, the hopeful bromantic, and I retroactively and proactively denounce anything anyone has ever said and ever will say on this show. Recording this episode at the end of spring break, so I am both rested and tired at the same time, which is always the weirdest thing about whenever there's a break. Uh, I got really excited at the beginning of break. I was like, this is going to be awesome having no school. But then at a certain point, I was actually like, man, two months of this is going to be really, really tough. So this is probably my first real actual year as a teacher dealing with these breaks and everything. So we'll see how that continues going forward. But before we jump into my future, we have to talk about what happened in the past week. And we have to do that by bringing in my co-host joining me this trip from Dale's Lawn, identifying as a woman to forgo his white male gay privilege, William Green. Hello, hello. Yeah, great, uh, great week this week. Um, so uh, uh, at uh, one of my jobs, the boss is on vacation. So I, it was a very, very busy week just uh, handling uh, things that I don't normally have to see or be involved in covering, uh, helping, helping cover for my boss. Uh, but a lot of fun. And then this weekend, uh, the weather is... Uh, Warmed up enough where uh, basically I've grilled the last two days, and today will be day three of grilling. So it's just been uh, nice, sunny, not too windy, um, and uh, just enjoying just being able to sit outside because uh, uh, the weather's uh, getting a lot, uh, a lot better out here. Not to bore everyone with hot weather talk, pun intended, <laughs> but I think this time of year is the maybe ideal time of year in both california and florida like we went to disney a couple nights and we were just like this is great we don't need a jacket we have a t-shirt on it's not too too hot it's not too humid like it's it's that sort of perfect equilibrium right now yep we'll get the we'll get in the summertime heat soon but for now yeah that's that's coming that's part of why i'm not looking forward to two months yeah and i know i know you said it was a great week for you but it wasn't a great week for other people, such as uh, women's NCAA swimmers. Let's get into that in Life on the Midside. As always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so through Patreon or Locals. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. That's the midside.com slash Patreon, the midside.com slash Locals. We appreciate and thank you for any and all support according affirmations. And you know, William, who possibly just needs one giant affirmation? Leah Thomas, the swimmer for the University of of Pennsylvania. Now, yeah. that uh, that comment is probably controversial. My point being, 
there are deeper psychological issues at work when we talk about trans issues. And I mean that both as uh, for the people and for us as a culture. But I'm not interested in talking about that so much as I am talking about logistically how we handle these things. So I don't remember if we've talked about Leah Thomas before on the show. I know it's come up in our text thread and in the Discord. But the NCAA championships were this past week. And Leah Thomas uh, won the 500-meter freestyle, I believe. Correct? Was it the 500-meter the freestyle? Yeah, I'm checking right now. Let's see. And yep, then 500 after meter, that, Yep, women's five, uh, the former women's 500-yard freestyle event. Right. Well, they still call it the women's, and we can call it the former women's, right? Uh, and that's part of the logistics here that we have to talk about. Then, you know, there was a lot of controversy online, of course, you know, making fun of this picture circulating. One picture that stood out starkly to me is after the uh, picture of everyone on the podium, the women who got second, third, and fourth all stood together, whereas Leah Thomas stood on the opposite side of the photo away from them. That seemed to have been an intentional statement. Uh, if not, it's it speaks loudly unintentionally. But I mean, even the that, visual, like, yes. I don't want to interrupt, but even just the visual, I mean, if you haven't seen this picture, like, it, I don't care, or I, it doesn't matter, almost doesn't matter who moved which way, like, it just makes an incredible con- uh, con- concretization of what's happening. Well, you know, the women moved because it's the, the podium for the 100 or the 500 meter, and Leah is in front of the national champion on the national champion spot, and there's no one in the two, and three women are in the third spot so yeah. the second and fourth had to move uh to the third spot to take the picture yeah just the size difference it looks exactly like uh outside of the positioning of the south park episode yeah the there was a the meme that i shared it i don't remember where i shared it oh i shared it in the discord and in the group chat uh yep. the meme from the strong woman competition where the macho man character won the strong woman competition showing again that south park is ahead of the curve on these things now, this backlash, William, I don't know if it affected Leah or not, but she then lost a couple events that she was favored to win after that. The 100 meter and, and, and one other event. What I found interesting was the following. So I found an article and it talks about the policy and what happened with it. It said... The NCAA updated its policy in January to defer to the guidance of each sports governing body. The NCAA announced that its policy would become effective in March, starting with the Division I Women's Swimming and Diving Championships. USA Swimming updated its policy shortly after requiring transgender athletes who are competing at an elite level to have small levels of testosterone, half of what Thomas was allowed to compete with, for at least 36 months before becoming eligible. But the NCAA said weeks later that the administrative subcommittee of the Committee on Competitive Safeguards and Medical Aspects of Sports. And I just want to stop for one second here, William, before we get into this specific issue. I want to read that again. The NCAA said weeks later, so giant organization, that the administrative subcommittee of the committee. How many committees and how many people are involved in this? How, how bureaucratic is this? So that's I mean, part of the issue the NCAA. right there. They, 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 they take all this money, I mean, all the money that would have gone into if the, the athletes were actually being paid out of the NCAA, those go, you know, I'm sure NCAA, NCAA's cut is pretty large. So 
Gotta, right. gotta so feed the bureaucracy. Right, so that bureaucracy is part of the problem, and especially, as you just said, they're not concerned about rewarding the people for excellence. They're only concerned about lining their own pockets undeservedly. Can we agree on that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right. So what this subcommittee of the committee, which is part of the NCAA, decided is it wouldn't alter its testosterone guidance for the season. And this is the quote. Implementing additional changes at this time could have unfair, and potentially detrimental impacts on schools and student athletes intending to compete in 2022 NCAA women's swimming competitions championships. So, William, they're saying it could have unfair, potentially detrimental impacts. Presumably, they're saying people like Leah, who have not met the testosterone levels, right, which is half of what Leah was competing with for at least 36 months to be eligible. So 36 months is three years, correct? Yeah. Right. So that's the first thing here is just this is the NCAA didn't even handle this in in a a reasonable way. They went against their own standard. Mm -hmm. Do you think they just went against the standard because they didn't want to appear what oppressive? I don't know. I mean, how much of this is, I I just keep coming back to that picture that you shared um, in the discord plug for discord uh, in the comparison to the uh, South Park episode, because when you see that visual, there is no, yeah, well, people's ability to fake, uh, to blank out reality is quite large, but like, that's right. like very in your face. Right. Like well, how long can they here. let, yeah. How long can they let or spin or, you know, evade that, that concretization of like, this is, this is, we made women's, you know, women's sports were for a place where women can enjoy and compete and this isn't going to work right it's just so clear when you see that picture well right and there's like i said there's other pictures which back up what you're saying i'm looking at one where where they're hugging and these two women are hugging and leah is walking by them and if you didn't tell me any differently i would think that was a man just the way the person looks Now, that leads me into the second thing. I don't know the cause and effect here. I don't know if 36 months is enough or is not enough to close the gap. But at least USA Swimming is trying to have some sort of objective measure. William, my question is just this. Is it just about testosterone or is it about the time of transition? Now, you can argue 36 months, that's three years, that gives you a lot of time to transition. But, and this is part of the controversy, right? Is there not a difference of transitioning before puberty, during puberty, and after puberty? Because to me, a man who competed as an athlete throughout puberty, became an adult male, and then transitions, and then tries to compete with women, is at a much different advantage than somebody who transitioned pre-puberty and got rid of testosterone and changed the chemicals in his or her, I don't, I wouldn't even know what adjective, what, what pronoun to use at that point, what uh, changed all the chemicals at that point in his or her life. Do you get what I'm saying? 
Yeah, it's a thorny issue because, uh, like, again, I am not a biology or, um, sorry, there's a package being delivered and now Colt's barking. Um, there's a, uh, there's a complexity here with biology that, you know, I'm just not a biologist and that I don't, don't know. But when we, when we think about it, you know, there's a spectrum of, uh, of sort of body traits that women have in the spectrum that men have. And yeah, there are definitely outliers that are women. In order to be objective about this, we need to, you know, be able to have a conversation and actually accept that male and female exist and then set whatever standards are appropriate for things like testosterone level or whatever ones would be relevant, right? Bone density, shit like that, right? Um, well, let's. Right, I agree completely with what you're saying, and let's let's use a metaphor that takes the gender issue away from it to show what what at least I'm trying to get at. I think you're trying to get at as well. Yeah. Let's say that there's a competition for sports, but you can't have a certain amount of muscle mass, and you say, "Oh, you know, you could have not lifted weights for three years in order to compete in this. It hasn't been 36 months since the last time you lifted weights. But there would still be a difference, William, as somebody who lifted weights for five years and then took three years off versus somebody who lifted weights never and then competed. Do you see what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? I do. And I'm going to use an example that uh, you should have uh, used right away, Uh which is wrestling. There's weight classes. Well, it's completely we were objective. Get into that. Yeah, it's completely objective, right? You have a weigh-in, and yeah, you you play with the uh, you play with the uh, water weight, right? Every wrestler knows those techniques. But well, they've actually just to get into some inside baseball here. They've done something wonderful since I wrestled, and yeah. you have to certify your weight preseason, and then you can only lose a certain percentage, like one point five to two percent of your body weight each week and then there's a limit to how far you can drop as well based upon uh, what is considered biologically healthy so they've they've made it a lot safer nowadays so people aren't cutting as extremely as they used to when i was younger yeah makes sense but in regards to what you're saying i mean look there were a few girls this year who I mean, people would call them things like Wonder Woman because these girls were in really, really good shape. They were very muscular. They were still women, and there were still people who competed with them. I mean, one of the women who's one of the girls who's very strong. Uh, she ended up winning in the state final, and she's great. I love her. She's one of my favorite people on the other teams. But she was losing, and she ended up pitting the girl at the end. So it's not like it's such an unfair advantage where they look more quote unquote masculine. I wouldn't even say that. I don't like the idea that a muscular woman isn't considered masculine. I think that's when we're talking about cultural standards. I do agree. There are some cultural standards that shouldn't be gendered that are, and that's one of them. But I think there's a greater issue in wrestling here, William. It's what I just said to you about the metaphor of weightlifting. I don't know what I'm going to do if, and when now, fortunately I'm in the state of Florida and they've just sanctioned girls wrestling. So I don't think This issue will present itself for a while, but if and when it does, what if one of my girls has to wrestle a trans female, so a male to female trans wrestler? I don't know what the right answer is there, 
do I refuse to let them wrestle and say it, they could get hurt, which is a legitimate concern, right? Because part of the weight classes is preventing them from getting hurt. But girls wrestle boys all the time in the boys' competitions. So a girl who weighs 125 will wrestle against boys who weigh 125. So I don't know if it would be right to say I'm not going to let them compete. Do I let the girls choose themselves? But then if I let them choose themselves and I coach them, aren't I tacitly saying this is this is okay? Yeah, I think you have to... I mean, it's not... Uh, people who don't believe in... Um, biological sex uh may not like this answer but i think you use the same principle not that you can measure the other wrestlers uh testosterone and stuff like that but like the good thing about wrestling is you can see how people you know you can see the history of how they wrestle and and things like that and within reason you can judge the likelihood of injury right like if the skill difference is such that you don't think it would be a good idea then maybe you do say hey yeah, I support you whether you want to, you know, face this opponent or not. But you know, I think the skill gap is different. You don't have to say why, right? You can say, "Hey, the skill gap is too much. There's a risk of injury here. I just want to make sure you know that." Yeah. So, sort of like a combination of the two things I said. One is judge yeah. each case individually, and two, present that to my wrestler. Exactly. I guess that's uh, probably the most individualism uh, strikes again here on the midside. Well, right. And that's what I was going to say, that it's probably the most rational way. And I think sometimes we all forget. And I think this is something to sort of follow up on last episode that objectivists forget. It's objectivism and the idea of individualism in general is not a system. It's not saying this is the answer to every question. It's saying you have to use these principles to figure out the issue to every question. So, as you just pointed out, every girl who might have to wrestle or compete against a male to female transitioned individual might not have the same answer because the situation is different. Now, in the case of Leah Thomas, I would think based upon my knowledge and maybe my knowledge is limited, I allow for that, but I would think this is a case where they should not have competed. The women should not have competed. Now there's no risk of injury, but there's a fairness issue here where that, as we pointed out with the strong women uh, episode of South Park, the strong woman competition, that's a man. That's not a woman. Yeah. I I mean, uh, me evading reality slightly. Wouldn't it be nice if one of the uh, women that were competing just took testosterone and made sure they had as much testosterone as, as uh, Leah and then competed? I still don't think they would I, win, but, but I don't even think that would be enough, William. That's my point know, about developmentally. This looks like yeah. somebody who developed as an adult male and then yeah. said, oh, now I identify as a woman, so I'm going to swim as a woman. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, you're absolutely right. But you, you see what I'm trying to aim at here. It's sort of like if, yes. we had, if someone else presented with all of the all of the sort of body composition and traits that that person have, like that's why I, I keep coming back to that principle of I don't know what the answer is. Right. That, but there is well, an because there's there. an argument that isn't there an argument. And again, this goes into, you know, supplements and things like that. But isn't there an argument that if women want to take testosterone in order to compete better at sports, they should be allowed to. It's their own bodies. Couldn't that argument yeah. be made? It could. And, and so the testosterone the, itself might not be the only issue here. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, and, and, and it's not. And that's it, it gets into biology and sex. And yes, like I said, not, not an well, expert. Culture. Here. I want to make sure I and culture. Yeah. And I don't want to uh, step outside of that. But yeah, the other thing is, you know, it, the fact that we're there, there is a sort of argument to be made. Like we know that there aren't that many trans people, although there seems to be more and more these days. And uh, there's probably reasons for that. So this working this out has been like an obsession um, in the culture. And the dialogue around it means that now we've end up, ended up in this position where it's clearly wrong, right? Like something is clearly wrong. And um, I don't know. I don't know if uh, culturally, like it's good that the NCA is making some progress on this. But I mean, you know, the Twitterati are not going to stand for this, right? The NCAA is going to get bashed and bashed and bashed the more they come to an objective standard on this. Um, so, I don't know. When I see this, I worry that women's sports are dead. We're going to have the WNBA filled with transitioned, uh, um, uh, not, not not like an entire roster, but you know what I mean, right? Like it, It's going to be dominated by transitioned, uh, the one or two, or even, heaven forbid, six. What if there were six transition male to female basketball folks? Well, let's create a hypothetical here, right? Let's uh, create a hypothetical dystopia using our fiction writing abilities. All right. The NBA draft happens. The free agency happens. You know, where the undrafted free agents uh, are signed. There is a large number of players who succeeded at the D1 level for men. And they say, well, I can stop playing basketball or I can be paid to play basketball instead of, you know, getting a job selling insurance. And I always say that because I know like former football players at Clemson who didn't move on, started selling insurance. What's the average I'm Googling right now? What's the average WNBA salary? So the average WNBA salary is one hundred and twenty thousand. Right. This is uh, I don't know how accurate that is. I Googled it. It came up. But that sounds about right. Right. That sounds about right. So you say I can make, you know, maybe you decide I'm going to go into teaching high school and coaching and I'm going to make 50,000 a year. Now, I've ostensibly just told someone everyone something, but whatever. Um, And you do the estimate and you say, well, I could do that or I could transition and identify as a woman and play in the WNBA and make six figures a year and do that for six years. Now, there's all these players that succeeded at the Division One level. I mean, think of March Madness, right? That's a pretty high level of basketball. How many of them make that decision? What if that's, that, that fills the entire league? Could it not conceivably fill the entire league? Yeah, I think it. Yeah, I think so. Now that's a dystopian, yeah, idea. But is it outside the realm of conceivability? No, but it's extreme because, as I've said at the top, there are a lot of psychological issues that are involved with this. That I think that we're doing a good job at intentionally not addressing it right now. But I, I do think that those psychological issues are not addressed enough. And that's something, William, I've always maintained. I've never understood how with these issues, we jump to changing the physical 
and addressing a purely materialistic physical approach to these issues rather than a spiritual, philosophical, psychological approach. I've never understood that. Yeah. Okay, yeah. well, let's go to the other extreme. We're right. dealing with psychological issues in a way, and philosophical issues in a way that don't make any sense. So this is a story you brought to us, right? How did this, how did you come across this story? Was it just on Twitter? I, man, I should have wrote down where I got it from. I was uh, flipping through some random uh, uh, YouTube live streams of some of uh, some of the folks I follow, and this came up as a funny story they were talking about, and I was like, oh my god, I, like, this was definitely woke or joke material. This is why we cannot do woke or joke anymore. Like, well, that and Daniel's the one who did it all. That's true. He's well, Daniel here. did all the work. Like, let's be honest. Yeah. But like we, <laughs> but we also can't do it because oh my god, yeah, this has to be. Woke yeah, like a joke. this is a hard times article. This is hard times. Yeah, article, Babylon. This is Babylon B writing this. Hard times writing this, and it's real. So and it's real. The yeah. National Museum of Wales uh, is not showing a replica of the first ever steam-powered locomotive in uh, Wales anymore because it's linked to slavery, or no, sorry, not slavery. It's rooted in colonialism and racism. It, it, this is a statement. Although there might be no direct links between the Trevithick locomotive and the slave trade, we acknowledge the reality that links to slavery are woven into the warped and weft of Welsh society. By the way, somebody really loved alliteration there. They were like, this is my moment. Warped and weft of Welsh society. And I believe there was more... Um, yeah. Trade and colonial exploitation were embedded in Wales' economy and society were fundamental to Wales' development as an industrialized nation. As we continue to audit the collection, we will explore how the slave trade linked and fed into the development of the steam and railway infrastructure in Wales. William, this is absolutely insane to me for one very specific reason. Show me a culture, show me a country in the history of the world that does not have roots in slavery and racism. Or you could even say slavery, racism, and poverty. I, I would want to make yes. it a trifecta because every, that is the default state. Tribalism and poverty is the default state of human society pre-industrial revolution. Right. Now, I want to be careful here because I can already hear, as you call them, the Twitterati saying, okay. well, that's whataboutism. Right? Well, it's it's... You know, we did this, but what about this thing you did? I'm not trying to make that point. The point I'm trying to make is the following. Things are the way they are now. The locomotive exists. Is the goodness of the locomotive as we are now dependent on where it came from or what it does? Because if we're going to take the principle of it's where it came from that determines something's goodness... We have to throw everything out. Shouldn't we judge things based upon how much value they add to our lives now and then figure out what we can do to move away from the negative 
immoral aspects they came from. And an example I gave for this is the argument people make about, and I gave this example at school, the argument people make about the U.S. Constitution and the U.S. government. Oh, well, the U.S. government is founded in white supremacy and racism and sexism. So we need to restructure the entire government. Okay, William, I think we can agree that largely the U.S. government was was created by and based upon the ideas of white European males, correct? Yes. Does that make those ideas bad? Not. Uh, it is almost irrelevant, almost completely irrelevant, because the, at, at this it's, point, a, it's an inability. Well, even back then, it's an inability to think in terms of essentials and conceptual hierarchy. The com- the, the the Constitution was written in a context true. But the essentials of that context is it was the first government founded on individual liberty. And yes, it had a contextual, uh, 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 philosophical and cultural and societal basis, which is all fascinating. It is part of history. But the essential thing that happened was a country founded on individual rights. Right. Now, it happened to be based upon that context that it was white European males who came up with that. I would suppose if everything were opposite and let's just say white African females founded the country, it is equally as possible to me that they could have derived the same type of government. Yeah. Now I'm talking in a vacuum, right? I'm not talking about because context affects everything, right? And Africa developed a certain way. I don't want to get into that argument. My point being, yes, perhaps a white male invented the toilet, because of the way society was, does that make the toilet bad? Or do we just acknowledge that a white woman or any other type of woman or any other type of person, trans, whatever you want to say, could have invented the toilet if society were truly moral at the time and truly respected individualism and individual rights? Yeah. Isn't it the same thing here with the steam engine? Yeah, it fucking sucks. The British Empire went around and colonized everyone, right? But does that mean this locomotive should be ignored from history because of that? Or should it be celebrate, celebrated for the goodness that came out of a shitty time? And isn't that the history of progress? And isn't that the history of improving throughout humanity? That shitty things happen, but we're able to get good things out of them? Would we not be where we are right now if we didn't have good things come out of shitty times? Yeah. Well, I want to give credit where credit is due. I found the thread. It was actually on Twitter and not uh, something for uh, YouTube. Uh, per Byland, B-Y-L-U-N-D. He's a Bitcoin uh, expert, professor of economics, and he posted that. And uh, I also posted the retort. Uh, he said, uh, it, I'm not looking forward to the day that these moral panic people hear of the use of food and all the atrocities it made possible and brought about. Right. And that's the other direction to go with what we're saying. As I said, everything is rooted in colonialism and racism. So we can't eat. But people, of course, do that, William. Do they not do that with meat? Yes. Environmentalism does that. That that uh, commits that uh, intellectual atrocity all the time. Well, and save that thought for the final trailer and trailer takedown. Because what you just said was pretty much my reaction to that trailer. Intellectual we'll atrocity. I'll keep that in mind. Well, and what you said, it touches everything. 
All right. So final news story here, which is a mixed bag, right? It's a mixed bag. So uh, the Senate this past week voted to unanimously voted unanimously. Does that happen in the year 2022, William? Unanimously voted to make daylight saving time permanent. So this means that the spring forward time, the time we're in right now, will be the permanent time we live in. Now, for me, William, this is a victory because I don't know about you, but I hate I hate getting up in the morning and it's dark and driving to school and then getting out after practice and it's dark that I literally never see the light of day unless I decide to walk outside just to see the sunlight and enjoy the sun during my breaks. Yeah. Right. My half an hour lunch and my hour long planning in which I'm supposed to be working in, at my desk. Right. Sometimes I just go outside because I want the sun, which to me, that helps me plan. Right. Because I need to plan for how I'm going to handle things well, biologically. Right. Health wise, fitness wise. That's part of that. But this is huge for me because I enjoy life much more when I have that sunlight at the end of the day and I have it in the morning. What about you? Yeah, absolutely. I um, winter, we know, especially the northern climates with seasonal affective disorder. You know, it, it's really a thing, and I know shift work can affect you know whether people's preference. And there might be some. I, I think I read somewhere there might be some studies supporting it might be slightly better for most people on average if we kept the non DST and just didn't do the switches. Uh, but everyone like all the studies sort of universally agree that the switch itself is super bad for people, um, people's health. Um, and, uh, you know, suicide rates go up, car accidents go up, a ton of things, you know, are just bad, bad, bad. And, um, yeah, I, I personally, to make it very individual. Yeah. I'm, I, I hate that we switch times. Like, let's just pick a time. I mean, hell, I'm such a computer nerd. Like let's just all go off GMT, right? Like I don't, you know, it, it it almost uh, when you would especially you know I, I work for a, a company that's a global company. It's so complicated to figure out times, right? Like it's like what, well, what time should we have this meeting? Well, now we're on daylight savings, and you know the EU isn't, and blah blah blah. It's a, it's an overly complicated thing that I think has sort of served its purpose and uh, may no no longer be relevant. And I don't think day, I, I, I think daylight savings times definitely falls into that category. Right now, here comes the mixed bag sort of things. Uh, the first question I have to ask is, is this a legitimate use of government? And what I mean by that is there is an argument to be made that a federal government getting everyone on the same logistics promotes better trade and a better society. So you could say that that is a legitimate use of government. What do you think? Well, I think that having the government say what uh, the objective standard is that they will use should be the way that that be quote-unquote enforced. In other words, um, you know, the courts and the police and, you know, all the government functions need to have a time. And so if in that way they say, here's how we've divided up the company or sorry, the country, these are the time zones. And, you know, these are the daylight savings times rules. Them setting it that way, I think is completely legitimate. Um, not sure how much, as far as enforcing it, 
I'm not sure if there's any enforcement, quote unquote. Of How that. do you enforce it? <laughs> I don't know. But but you understand what I'm saying, right? Like, I, I wouldn't yeah. say like, I wouldn't say because, you know, there's a lot of, you know, like Arizona has weird places that do and yes. don't you know, yes. observe. Yeah, so I, like, I don't think the the federal government should have any role in in that sort of local thing. Um, so let's say and, there was and, a federal courthouse. Get with this, yeah. Let's say there was a federal courthouse or FBI office, or whatever, in one of those where a local government has decided to do a certain way. Then maybe they, you know, maybe they present the time in two ways. Just like I, when I have to schedule a meeting, I have to present the time in two ways. Um, thankfully, you know, the calendar takes Google Calendar takes care of that. But but uh, you understand what I'm saying? Like if I send a, 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 a invite externally, I'll say this time in California, this time in GMT this time in Singapore, right? Well, right. And I'm just thinking of what you were just saying and what the scale of it is. Like, imagine they created a federal agency. And this this plays into the final thing I'm going to say here in a second. The Sunshine Protection Agency. And I'm thinking of like Fahrenheit 451, where if they find out you have a book, they go to your house and burn the book or the house. Right? Would it be the same thing if there's a business that's refusing to follow daylight savings time and is on a different clock schedule <laughs> would you go there and like destroy all their clocks I don't and know. are the people or like force them the to wind keepers? the clock to a certain time yeah <laughs> and shoot them if they don't like how would you even enforce this i don't know because of course you know there's the argument that time's a construct right it's our way of measuring things as long as they're awake and doing the work at the same time does it really matter to us when they wake up and stuff yeah, That's or what time the clock says it is, right? Right. It should be done based on, you know, human. And there is, like you said, there is an advantage of everyone sort of using the same uh, right. standard. And we've sort of cobbled together that now. But anyone who's a computer programmer knows this. You have to constantly, constantly update what's called a time zone file. Because the time zones are right. constantly changing. The rules are complicated. They're so complicated that there's actually, even if there's been no change in a couple of weeks, sometimes there's just bug fixes because of how complicated the time zone rules are. Right. Well, and that's that's the final thing that's ridiculous about this. I've kind of already said it implicitly, but the Sunshine Protection Act. Wouldn't this have been better to have been called like the Timekeeping Logistics Act or something like that? Like the idea that 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 sunshine needs to be protected? It's it's kind of farcical that the government is naming a bill <laughs> that. That their purpose, the purpose of government is not to protect sunshine. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, so I'm sure part of it is marketing, but you're right. Like the fact that that's the marketing direction says something, right. isn't it, about the culture? Right. It could be the time uniformity bill or something. The tub, right? Instead, <laughs> it's the the Sunshine Protection Act. Oh, thank you, government. Thank you, federal government, for protecting our sunshine. Appreciate it could be that. called the We Should Have Done This a Long Time Ago Act. Yeah, <laughs> um, because people have been talking this since I was a kid, dude. Like, this is crazy. Well, I believe a, a one season we talked about this. We had an episode. I don't know how many years ago it was, but we talked about if this should be done. Do you remember that? Oh, jeez. I, I don't remember specifically me being on that episode. I do remember the episode, though. Yeah. I don't know how long ago it was. It was a while ago, because I remember um, talking about the health issues and stuff with this. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, the thing that sucks when they do stuff like this is they said they're not going to do it until... Is it January 2023 when they put this into place? Yeah. I mean, I, I know why, because like I just explained, you have to update all these damn computers with a time zone file. If if yeah. if if you did that right away, I mean, there's going to be so much shit that just automatically does daylight savings time. Thankfully, most 
every not to be a super computer nerd most everything that has a hardware chip that that had that stuff baked into it does have a toggle if the software exposes it to turn on and off respecting daylight savings time so so even so most old devices won't be completely borked but uh it, it will be a pain for some older devices i mean are instead of y2k are we gonna have dpa here the daylight, the, or the, the SPA here, the Sunshine Protection Act, right? And it's going to yeah. cause all the computers to melt down in yep, the apocalypse. Yep, yep, yep. The apocalypse. What? Well, how is this, this going to work? Are we going to fall back and then just in January we're going to spring forward? The last time ever, like January first. I mean, I guess everyone's already drunk and staying up all night anyway for New Year's Day. So, well, I imagine I didn't read the act, but I imagine they'll wait till the normal spring forward, and then there that year there just will will be no fallback. Okay. So, so it's probably uh, fall 2023. There's no fallback. That 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 would be my assumption. But yeah, there's several ways to implement. Uh, yeah, but that would make too much sense to do it that way. So, yeah. We'll, see. well, I guess spring forward on uh, on New Year's Eve. That would be interesting because then you'd miss that whole hour of the, uh, you know the the uh, all the concerts that happen right after the ball drops. You know, on the Dick Clark show or whatever. So. Uh, it's it's uh, Ryan Seacrest now, isn't it? Oh, sorry. Is Clark still alive? Nah, well, I don't, I don't think so. But uh, I thought they were keeping his name around. That's true. That's true. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to end life on the midside here. Let's talk about some art in the hopeful romantic with JML. As always, if you'd like to continue the conversation with us during the week, you can do so by joining our Discord channel. You've already heard us reference Discord a bunch of times this episode. So you can do so by going to the midside.com or midside.com slash podcast. Click on any episode link and in there is a join code. Do that. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, there's a comment I'm looking forward to reading in trailer takedown from one of the midsiders in the Discord. All right. I want to hit a bunch of quick reviews this week, William. Nothing in particular. Um, I saw three things because it was spring break. I also started watching The Expanse again. So... Uh, everyone out there who's an Expanse fan, look forward to us doing some episodes. Probably record the next one uh, next week. Or we could just, maybe we'll just have a live discussion in the Discord channel. I don't know. William will figure out the logistics for that. William, figure out how many people are interested in that, and we can figure out how to handle that. All right. Hit up the, uh, we have a couple Expanse-related uh, channels. There's the uh, the Expanse Spoilers and the Expanse Watch Party. Uh, those of you join our Discord, let's have a discussion in Expanse Watch Party. Uh, what I think we should do is record... Uh, or have a live uh, show where some of the listeners can join in. We can have a discussion of the expanse and, uh, you know, maybe we'll record it and toss it up on Patreon for our Patreon supporters to enjoy if they can't join live. There you go. See, William figured that out really nicely for me. Okay. So the three things that I watched this week, one, the Adam project, that's a movie on Netflix Two, peacemaker. That's a series on HBO max and three deep water, which is a movie on Hulu. So I'm on all the platforms this week. I'm on all the platforms. So the Adam Project, uh, 
Okay, but before I continue, I wanted to say none of these are earth-shattering. None of these are amazing. I'm not going to tell you to go out and watch all of them. But I just want to very briefly say what's interesting about all of them. Uh, the Adam Project is a time travel movie. It seems like it's probably for kids, starring Ryan Reynolds. Uh, and in it, Ryan Reynolds travels back to the past and helps his young self uh, fix the, t- the problems time travel has created in his future. Uh, I really got vibes of the flight of the navigator with this movie. It was like the flight of the navigator, but dealing with time travel and and the joy of this movie is it's really just Ryan Reynolds and it's a kid acting like Ryan Reynolds and there's some time travel shenanigans and some action. So this is just a solid middle of the row movie. Uh, If you want to see it, see it. If you don't have time and you don't care enough, don't see it, but you're going to have a good time. If you see it, I'd give it a solid bro. There's nothing particularly thematically inspiring about this movie. Uh, Deep Water. I'm going to do that one first because I think Peacemaker has the most to talk about thematically. Deep Water is a psychological thriller based on a book. It stars Ben Affleck and Anna de Armas. Presumably they were still in a relationship at the time this filmed. And in this movie, Ben Affleck's character is a retired computer guy who designed a chip that's used for drones. And his wife, it's unclear what she does, but she's a narcissist and what you find throughout the movie is that Ben Affleck's character is a sociopath who has become a serial killer uh the reason you discover this is his wife is cheating on him with other men in front of him like they go to parties and she invites them and she hooks up with them there and he starts killing these men now that premise sounds a lot more interesting than it is Uh, What I discovered in my research for this is the woman who wrote Gone Girl, the book that this movie is based on, is one of her favorite books. So I would suggest if you're going to watch this movie and you haven't seen Gone Girl, just watch Gone Girl instead. It's much better than this. I'm not going to give this a, you know, just no rating, the worst rating, because it it is Ben Affleck and Anna DeArmas. And the acting is decent in this, and there are interesting ideas when you you put a narcissist and a sociopath together. There is some interesting stuff here. And it's not done naturalistically. This really is about the choices these characters are making. But I would just say this is a no, bro. Don't watch the movie. Peacemaker. Peacemaker is the spinoff series to James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. It stars John Cena as Peacemaker. If you remember, I gave the movie a bad review because thematically it was all anti-American and it was showing Peacemaker as uh, the embodiment of everything that's wrong with modern day America. Well, this show, since Peacemaker is the protagonist, goes about redeeming the character. My reviews are about to, this review is about to have some spoilers, so William, if you want to hit the drop. There's walkers in the barn and Lori's pregnant. The One of the major ways they do this, Gunn does this, because he's the one who writes and directs or wrote and directed most episodes, is by showing that a lot of Peacemaker's quote-unquote worst traits and traits that people perceive him as such as racism are really a result of his dad his dad who is shown watching an alex jones type figure and is shown literally to be a white supremacist supervillain and there's a point in the series where that fight happens so they distance him from that way you know they distance him from the quote-unquote right using that trope using that 
technique, but that also the ending of the series really reveals James Gunn's philosophy. And it's not as political as you would think. So we have to keep in mind here, Guardians of the Galaxy and Guardians of the Galaxy 2, right? Guardians of the Galaxy is, of course, we are Groot, right? That was the point of the whole thing. It wasn't even, you know, like I said, he could have said Groot is friends or we are friends, right? Instead, he just says we are Groot as if his identity is everyone's identity. And of course, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 was all about choosing heart overhead. Well, the end of this season, this series of Peacemaker is very interesting because the whole point of the show is Peacemaker is hired by Amanda Waller. He's forced into essentially servitude using his skills as a killer to complete missions for the U.S. government. The mission he's completing is an alien race that look like butterflies. Their planet died, so they came to Earth and they started taking over people. So essentially they're parasites and they go in through an orifice, usually shown as the mouth, and they take over people and they possess them. So there's this secret community of butterflies and it's called Project Butterfly who John Cena's character has to stop. Now Peacemaker and his team in the final episode are going to stop them by killing the cow. The cow is the alien creature they brought from their planet, which gives them the goo that they need to live that doesn't exist on Earth. Now, throughout the series, Peacemaker has made friends with the lead butterfly. And in the final climax where he and one of his teammates is about to blow up the cow, the lead butterfly in the form of a human gives her pitch as to why John Cena should let the cow live, why Peacemaker should let the cow live. And here's what was so striking about it. It was basically an environmentalist argument. The idea of we destroyed our planet through climate change and we don't want humans to do the same. So you need to let us take over and run society because we know better than the humans. So obviously this is a platonic argument. Right, The idea that all the humans are in the cave and we're the ones who can see past the shadows on the wall. So we should be the philosopher kings who run this society. And it's also the idea that humans are naturally, and obviously all life, because the butterflies killed their planet, are naturally destructive and we need to move away from those principles. We need to move away from that nature. And I found this very interesting because as I was watching it, I was actually unsure of what choice... Peacemaker was going to make. I was like, well, that argument is essentially the leftist argument in all of their movies and shows nowadays. So how does the writer get away from agreeing with what it was arguing against, what he was arguing against in the Suicide Squad movie? Right? Because climate change is often shown as the antithesis to nationalism as shown in the Suicide Squad movie. So I was like, how does he not have John Cena agree with this? But miraculously, somehow John Cena ended the cow and the butterfly got away. He didn't kill the butterfly because there's some empathy for you and went against that argument. And I was very confused. But then in the denouement, this is what was very interesting, William. 
one of his teammates, who Peacemaker John Cena had become the closest with, asked him why he didn't agree with the butterfly. Why he didn't go with the butterfly's plan. And the quote was, his teammate asked him, you know, did you not go through with it because of your proto-fascist libertarian beliefs? And his response is what really is revealing about Gunn. What he said was, and I'm paraphrasing here, no, it was a, basically I knew it would upset you all if I didn't agree with her. If I went along with her, you would all be upset. And I didn't want to upset my friends. So what we see here is Gunn is actually far less political than people think. And I don't even think he's aware of his collectivistic underpinnings as we saw with We Are Groot. I think it's just he really wants other people to like him and he's concerned with, you know, love and supporting those who you love. Now, how can you do that without principles? That's a different discussion. But I think this is a perfect show that shows how mixed of a case James Gunn is. And I think it's a lesson we can all learn about how mixed people are. So as far as ratings for this goes, again, this is a solid of the road bro, right? There's guns here. It's John Cena. Come on. If you're a bro, you like John Cena. There's good humor in here. Is the plotting the greatest? No. Is the thematic denouement the greatest? No. But you're going to enjoy this if you watch it. It's just there's better stuff out there. William, before we move on, any comments on anything I just said? Because I find it fascinating. So I'm curious if you have any thoughts. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm uh, I'm trying to integrate it with, I mean, if we remember, uh, wasn't it Gunn who got canceled for old tweets? Kind of trolling yes. tweets, right? Yes. And uh, I don't know. I, I'm not sure how that integrates, but that like it, it, just the way you're putting the, I think there's something there if we integrate all those facts together. Well, I think he probably was tweeting those things just because he thought they were funny and it would make people like him. But then the culture and that's shifted what, so I, and much. And honestly, that is what what was popular and cool and hip, right? Yes. Back then. Yes. Well, especially because he was he, he got his start in trauma or trauma, T-R-O-M-A, where they're known for being like over the top and disgusting and ridiculous. That was their style of production. It's just interesting to me that he is able to explicitly name political things. Like, I mean, the speech that the villain gives is, is like, it's so on the nose. It's just like, wow, you get this. And then, the, you know, he calls, he has a character called Peacemaker's Beliefs Proto-Fascist Libertarian. The fact that he understands and says these things, and I'm not calling libertarianism proto-fascism. Obviously, I think that's a contradiction. But the fact that he thinks on this level and has an understanding, but what he prefers to go with is, you know, emotionalism and focusing on it. I would almost call it secondhandedness, wouldn't you, William? Yeah, it's it. Yeah, it's not. Uh, it's so conflicting. It is definitely secondhandedness. I mean, it, it's not completely. He's not completely secondhanded, but that is very much secondhandedness. Right. Well, and that's how he's mixed. And I think that's something to remember about all of these people, including Zack Snyder, is they're all more mixed than we like to see them as, right? Because we like to raise them up as these ideals. But, you know, maybe they're not some devil or Jesus character. Maybe they're just 
a guy trying to do the right thing. And I think that's what we can ultimately say about James Gunn. And perhaps that's why Guardians of the Galaxy is one of the better Marvel movies. All right. So that's some stuff that's already out. Let's talk about some stuff that's coming out. Like I always say, I post the trailers for our takedown in the Discord on the weekend. I record, we record. Usually I do it on Saturday. This week I did it on Sunday, so I did it on the morning of us recording. But this gives you the opportunity to watch the trailers whenever you want. If you want to watch the trailers and then listen to the episode, you want to listen to the episode, watch the trailers, or you want to watch a trailer, we talk about it, watch a trailer, we talk about it. Trailer takedown. First trailer. Parallels is a Disney Plus series about teens who get involved with time travel. Again, this gave me Flight of the Navigator vibes. Very where much these, so. <laughs> these kids, well, because isn't the Flight of the Navigator where the kid like falls asleep and then he wakes up and everyone's in the future and like his brother's older and stuff? Yes. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing here where they go to a cave and like one of them ends up older. Now, the show is called Parallels, but this trailer seems to be about time travel. So that's a little interesting twist that wasn't really worked into the trailers. Here's the thing. It's Disney, so I don't know how good this is going to be. But William, you know I'm a sucker for parallel universes. You know I'm a sucker for time travel. I'm going to give this series a chance. This is a Netflix and Hug, even though it's Disney+. Plus. Netflix and Hug. I will say, uh, when I saw the word parallels, I was like, oh, is this going to be like a... Disney family friendly, not that this show wasn't family friendly, but a Disneyfied version of Sliders. Um, but well, yeah, Disney I, own Sliders now, don't they? Were they uh, they're Fox? What doesn't Disney own? But yeah, you're true. Well, I guess okay. they do own Sliders now. Uh, Sliders remake incoming. Um, yeah, that. But I agree with you. That, uh, for me, this is kind of borderline in the sense of I, I have so little faith in Disney currently. Uh, but pushing that aside, just looking at the trailer, this looks interesting, sci-fi premise. Um, I, too, am intrigued about the parallels and the time travel. Uh, looks like there's some characters. It's hard to tell what what this will be. Um, but as far as the trailer goes, it looks interesting, and it's got an interesting sci-fi premise. Let's give it a try, I say. So, yes, Disney Plus and Hug. Netflix and Hug. Second trailer. Miss Marvel is another Disney Plus series that is set in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This one is a mix between the Netflix series Never Have I Ever and the Tom Holland Spider-Man trilogy, where the main character is a Pakistani-American girl who believes she can be a superhero and no one believes in her, and she also has never seen herself represented. Now, Miss Marvel is a character in the comic book world. I don't know much about her. What I will say is the following. I liked very much the stylization of this, William. I can't deny that they did it very comic booky, right? It was very bright, right? There's not a lot of darkness here as opposed to the Netflix Marvel series, right? So I think stylized, there's a lot, stylization wise, there's a lot to like here. The problem is, what you just said about not having a lot of faith in Disney, especially in Marvel Disney. So I can get why somebody would want to watch this and would be excited about this. I just can't think thematically there's going to be anything that's going to hook me here. Even though the sort of story of like the teen nobody believes in uh, is kind of interesting. 
you know, somebody gets the powers. But then again, wasn't that already done in the Spider-Man trilogy? So there's just not enough new here and not enough enticing here beyond the stylization for me to say, hey, I'm going to set aside time to watch this. Tackle. Tackle? Um, yeah. I think I'd just rather re-watch Spider-Man than try to get into a show like this. My, you know, my faith in Disney brought the first movie to all, to the border of being tackled, but uh, you add Disney and Marvel. Um, this, uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm not, unless uh, you watch it and tell me it's worth watching. There's, there's so much else to watch. And uh, I just, this can go woke. So a, it's already woke, but will it be so woke that it will not have a story? That's a real possibility here. Um, yeah. No thanks. I'll pass. Tackle. Third trailer. Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, is the Puss in Boots spinoff in the Shrek universe. Although, was there already... William, can you look up right now? Was there already a Puss in Boots spinoff? I think there might have been. I have a vague memory of that. Anyway, in this movie, Puss in Boots has reached the ninth of his nine lives, and he has to figure out how to deal with that reality. I like that I like that premise. That's a creative premise, which isn't a surprise from the people who created the Shrek universe that has always had creative storytelling. I've seen every movie in the Shrek universe, and by and large, they're entertaining. You know, they're all not as good as Shrek 1 and Shrek 2, but I think this movie has a lot of potential, and I liked a lot of what was in the trailer. I will definitely make a point of seeing this movie. Hug. Hug. Yeah, the original Puss in Boots movie was 2011, I think. So it's a, it's the sequel, sequel to the yep. spin-off movie. Yep. So, um Yeah, I liked Shrek not as much as you. I have not seen any of these spin-off movies and um I mean, the animation looks good. Uh, the character looks fun. They're exploring the this concept of the last life being important. Um, so it, it could have a decent theme, but I'm just going to very lightly tackle it, only because I just don't have a lot invested in this universe, and uh, it doesn't it doesn't look like it's going to knock my socks off. So I'm not. I don't think it's a bad movie, but I'm not going to watch it. So tackle, tackle. Final trailer. The Revolution Generation is a documentary narrated by Michelle Rodriguez about, and that's where things get a little confusing. It seems to be about millennials and how they are revolutionizing the world, even though people think they're narcissistic and lazy. Now, it does have a theory in here that I have heard before, the idea that there is basically an 80-year cycle and every 80 years there's a crisis and that crisis needs to be fixed. But the theory is the millennials are fixing the latest crisis. Now, very briefly, logistically, Michelle Rodriguez calls herself a millennial. Uh, I looked it up. She is not a millennial. So that's the first thing. Uh, But the whole trailer, William, I was wondering what the hell is the crisis? Because this is very abstract and uh, nonspecific. It shows a lot of protesting and anger and all these things we've seen millennials do right i I remember they're seeing the protests you know the women's marches i remember because i was on the 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 train in boston 
when uh, they all got on and they were talking to me. So I remember seeing them and, you know, they were in there in the, the trailer as well. Um, so there was a lot of that. And I was wondering what the whole crisis was. But you know what this came down to, William? Climate change. This is a movie about how climate change is going to destroy the world and climate change touches everything, which, I mean, again, this goes back to what we were talking about in our second news story, right? The idea that ultimately everything is the same and comes back to the same things. And that's why this is the left's golden goose, because this is their issue that they can always go back to for control and say, hey, this is how we fix the world. Climate change is the thing destroying everything. And I was, I shouldn't have been, but I was flabbergasted that ultimately this was a a movie, this was a documentary about how climate change is destroying the world and millennials, millennials are the ones who are going to fix climate change. I mean, if, if you just, if you just said that and you didn't say it was a documentary and you were just like, I'm going to make a movie about how millennials are going to solve climate change to save the world, you would think that that was a satire. That that was a comedy. Instead, this is a straight-on, serious-faced documentary. Hard Tackle. Tackle. Uh, a thousand times, nope. This, the only way I will watch this if, uh, is if uh, some uh, really smart folks uh, and really funny folks do like a Mystery Science Theater version of it. Like a full episode uh, with just the, you know, some good parts, good quote unquote comedic parts from the movie. And then I would watch it, but only to watch the funny riffs that will inevitably be happening at all the cringe that will be in this, um, film. No, was that a pitch? No, thank you. Yeah. That, well, I mean, if we can get something together, I think that would be great. It'd be funny, but it may, it would be so tedious to have to get the clips for it, you know, or not the clips, but you know, pick out the sections. But that being said, I think it'd be funny, but yeah, this is going to be this is going to be cringe city, man. It's going to be terrible. Uh, tackle. Tackle. Maybe we could just do like a special live watch where we all just make <laughs> fun of it together. Where we just make fun of it the whole time. Yeah. Uh, I I mean, it would get copy struck, but like uh, I can imagine someone like uh, like Stitch and Adam on YouTube, uh, if they could, you know, do it because it would get copy struck. But that, like yeah, just but we could just watching the episode and breaking it down and just like making fun of it the whole time and pulling up all the facts that are just counter to what will be in there. Right, and we don't we look we don't have to record it or anything. We can just yeah. all sign on to Discord at a time oh. and do it. Like they can't stop <laughs> communal events. That's true. That's true. We can do a, a, a Netflix watch party or whatever. And, I mean, uh, worst case scenario, they don't let us do it digitally. We all just come to Florida and do it or something. I don't know. <laughs> yes, burn as much fossil fuels as possible flying out there, and uh, and then watch the movie and make fun of it. I mean, that is the proper response to this kind of propaganda is humor. That's why we witnessed the forest here in the midside. All right, William, what did we learn this trip? I learned that uh, the uh, intellectual catastrophe of uh, environmentalism is going to be the uh, just continue to be the root of all the leftist thought uh, from now on. It's their religion, and we're never going to get away from it. Justin, what did you learn this trip? Uh. Wow, I just lost it because I got a text message and looked at it. I totally just pulled the Dr. Drew and now Adam oh, no. in my head. Uh, yeah. Oh, I remember. I learned that we need to be afraid of and be wary of the possible future of the Sunshine Protection Agency policing all of us. <laughs> or you could call them 
by their their name that they only use internally, the Time Police. I, I, I don't even want to go there. I don't want to go there. <laughs> All right, I want to thank you all for listening. As always, if you weren't listening, this would just be me talking into a closet in the uh, in the corner of a closet. I mean, it still is me that doing that like a crazy person, but you make me feel less crazy. If you want to support the show, you can do so by going to midside.com slash store, the midside.com slash Patreon, the midside.com slash locals. Again, we appreciate any and all support. And of course, the best way to grow the show and support the show is to tell a friend. Tell a friend. Let's tell more friends. We need to do that. Tell more friends. This concludes your journey into the midside. I'm Justin Emlinski reminding you that if things get tough, take a step back and witness the farce. Please protect your sunshine. I mean, Florida is the Sunshine State, so is the uh, Sunshine Protection Act going to disproportionately affect Florida? That's interesting. I hadn't even thought of that. There's a whole article that could be written about that. (laughs) To be continued. To be continued.